the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. History has clearly shown that Christ is required to overcome the natural tendency of powerful forces to destroy God-given rights, including the right to hear and speak His truth. Welcome to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll with your hosts, Brian and Kathleen Melanakis. Kathleen is an author and retired registered nurse, and her husband, Brian, is a former company president. Kathleen and Brian discuss current events from a biblical worldview, so we as believers can influence for good in our culture and in the public square. Here is Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Hello, Biblical Citizens. We are back from a great trip to the Oregon coast. It was a combination of recreation and activism, which we talk about, of course, on this show. We hiked, we crabbed, I got to go target shooting with my brother-in-law. It's beautiful country, towering fir trees, seaside cliffs, aggressive sea lions, that's another story. But anyway, and Kathleen was able to speak at several events regarding her new book, Risks and Benefits of Vaccines for Informed Choice. That's all this book is about. It gives you all the information you need that your doctor, by and large, does not tell you risks and benefits of all vaccines, not just the COVID vaccine. It's available on Amazon. I heartily recommend it. And now to our show today, we have a really special guest today, Senator Brian Jones. Brian was born on a military base in Austin, Texas. But he's been in San Diego County since he was 10 years old, a graduate from San Diego State University. And he's one of those sometimes rare politicians that's had a significant life besides politics. He's done different things. He's been a general manager at a local pizza franchise. He's an associate, or has been anyway, an associate pastor. He's a strong man of faith. He and his wife have been married for 28 years or maybe even a little longer. They have three adult children. And I got to add this other thing. He loves, Brian loves anything outdoors, including mountain biking and adventure motorcycling. Wow, that sounds pretty adventurous. He's been in the state assembly, and since 2018, he's represented California's 38th Senate District. Welcome, Brian. Thank you, Brian. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on with your uh with your group today. Look forward to it. So first first topic is, you know, after two long years, I've noticed many states, many European nations, I think there were two more yesterday, even Austria, which has been kind of Nazi-ish, they have <laughs> either ended or announced they're ending their state of emergency around covid but notably, California has not. So, Brian, tell us a little bit. You led an effort very recently in the state Senate to try to repeal Newsom's state of emergency, and it sounds like you got some rude uh, pushback. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, that's been yeah, that's been going on continuously. In, in addition to the states and the countries that you mentioned, even Canada right now. Uh, is having a very uh, large debate uh, within their own borders on how to, um, you know, continue on with this pandemic emergency order. I don't know if you saw that the prime minister 
tried to invoke the Emergency Services Act. Absolutely, yeah. The other day, and some of the provinces aren't having it. And uh, I think they're up to four provinces now have ended their mask mandates and their vaccine passport. And for your listeners, uh, you know, we have a connection to Canada. My wife's family is from Canada. Um, they've been very strict on the the vaccine and the passport, the, the vaccine passport. You have to carry that thing with you every day. Uh, and some it's just it's oppressive up there. And finally, some of the even some of the provinces up there are starting to undo a lot of their restrictions and their vaccine passport requirements. So we're trying to get to that point here in California. The problem with California is that, you know, it's a big state. A lot of people don't know that the population of California is almost the same as Canada. I think actually, I think right. California's population is bigger than Canada. Yeah. And so, you know, we've got 58 counties. Each county is, you know, kind of its own little state. We've got a Bay Area up here in, I'm in Sacramento today, but the Bay Area counties are just out of their minds. With They, they like the restrictions. They like the shutdowns. They like the vaccine passports. Uh, those of us in Southern California aren't too fond of them. We think, it, we, uh, the Senate Republicans, think it's time to end the state of emergency. There's only two ways to do that in California. One is the governor, obviously, uh, can end it anytime he wants. And a second way, it, because there's no, there's no expiration date on the governor's emergency services order. That's astonishing, isn't it? I mean, that's astonishing in itself to a state of emergency. By definition, we always thought that emergency meant a really acute situation for a short period of time. If you had an emergency that goes on for years, it's it's something else, I think. Yes, it's no longer an emergency. And, you know, as we recover from this thing, Brian, um, and we're seeing the impact of the infection rates, uh, you know, that 99.9% of the people that are, uh, you know, con- contracting the, the virus are, are survive. Right. Um, so the we think it's time to end the state of emergency. And that the second way to end that is by a majority vote of both houses of the legislature. So it's called a concurrent resolution. Either house can introduce it, either the assembly or the Senate. And if it passes the first house, it goes to the second house. And if it passes the second house, it immediately takes effect and the state of emergency is over. It's very simple it, and, and straightforward. It, it's probably one of the most simple and straightforward rules we have in the legislature as far as dealing with the executive branch, the governor. And, uh, you know, normally in the Senate, we're a deliberative body. Lots of things come up for debate. Lots of controversial things come up for debate. Uh, lots of things Republicans fight against that eventually pass and, and become law against our will, but they at least get a debate and they get heard. This particular resolution, SCR 5, that is authored by Senator Melendez, and I've co-authored it, the Democrats won't even let it in committee for a debate to have a conversation and um, even allow my Democrat colleagues, if you're in favor of the state of emergency, present your case. Why are right, you right. in favor of the state of emergency? Why should we keep it? But they won't even debate it or have a conversation about it. And so uh, last week, one of the procedures we can do is make a motion to withdraw it from committee and bring it direct to the floor for a floor debate amongst all 40 senators. And that's the motion that was scaveled down uh, by the presiding officer, Melissa Melendez, stated her case. I stood up to speak in favor of the motion, and I was interrupted by the president. The presiding officer scaveled down, and my microphone was turned off eventually. Yeah, that's that's what I heard. I just heard that bit about the microphone being turned off. That's beyond rude. That's anti-democratic, anti-freedom of speech. 
Welcome to the California legislature, I guess. Well, you're, you're, right. you're in a real combat zone up there, Brian. Well, if your listeners uh, want to uh, find, we have a video on my uh, social media, my social, all my social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are all S-E-N, Senate, S-E-N, Brian Jones, and um, you can find that posted if you're, it's about two minutes long if your listeners want to go see what happened. Yep. Well, thank you for that. One other COVID-related thing. So most of us, a lot of us anyway, watched the Super Bowl which Sunday, which was a good game. But we noticed, couldn't help noticing that the audience, which was mostly wealthy people, I think, because you had to pay up to $500 just to park your car, there were about 75,000 people there, and I don't know if you watched it, Brian, but I didn't see anybody wearing masks, including the illustrious mayor of L.A., Eric Garcetti. Now, L.A., those of you who don't live there, you're not even supposed to be able to eat out or use a gym without both, kind of like in Canada, you were saying, Brian, both a vaccine passport and a mask. Meanwhile, the next day, Monday, most of the school children in this state and preschoolers were going back to school and they're forced to wear a mask, which has been shown, uh, especially on little kids, to have both physical and psychological harm. So what is there anything I wanted to ask you one other, one other kind of a related question to this, because I've been hearing recently on some podcasts that one of the reasons schools are forcing little kids to wear masks, like in elementary school, is because this uh, Joe Biden COVID, COVID Relief Act, which became law in March of 2021, it has significant funds in there that were passed on to schools, like elementary schools, but they're afraid they're going to lose the funds or have the funds pulled back if they don't enforce these mask mandates. Have you, have you heard anything like that? I'm, I'm not familiar with that. I can look into it and, um, you know, find out what the, you know, the, the, the state regulations are convoluted enough. When you add the federal regulations into them, who knows, you know, what's going on. Most of the uh, government bureauc- bureaucrat leaders can't keep up with all of this. So, you know, the, the governor two weeks ago at the playoff game not wearing his mask is what provoked the SCR5 conversation on the floor. Um, look, if the governor is going to violate his own policy, uh, which is very um, I mean, obvious that he did, but that's very anti-American. I mean, that, that is against the founding principles of, of our country. And, and not, not just founding principles, Brian, but current-day law and, and uh, leading by example. You, you right. Just, in America... And, and I would argue probably any country, if you're the leader of that country and you're going to pass a law and make an e- – and this is not even a law. This is right, a dictate. Order. Yep. No, not even a law. Um, dictate, yeah. Then you should follow it too. And if you're not going to follow it or you're not going to enforce it, which in this case is both, then don't have it. And that was the beginning of the argument for ending the state of emergency two weeks ago. And believe it or not, we've got several Democrat colleagues that agree with us. Um, they just won't stand up and and voice their opinion on it, nor vote against their leadership at this point in time. Well, what I was thinking when you s- said earlier that your mic was cut off and they kind of shut off debate and so on, 
Is that that's probably to, so they won't even have to take a vote, perhaps, because a lot of folks are up for reelection this fall. Right. And they might not want to even have so, that yeah, vote on their record. Right. And so that's the, the difference between um, the Senate and the Assembly. The Assembly, uh, Kevin Kiley did the same thing uh, last week. And in the in the Assembly, their votes are recorded electronically. So he posted out and showed that every single Democrat voted against the resolution in the assembly, meaning that they're voting for the lockdown, they're yep. voting for the mandates, they're voting for the governor, they're they're 100% supporting the governor. And, I, and I'll, I'll show it to you. Brian, let me, I'm going to have to interject right there. We're right at break time, but hold your, if you can hold your thought for a half, half a minute. There is more Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Still to come on K-Praise. Welcome back to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Now, here are your hosts, Kathleen and Brian Milanakis on K-Praise. We are here with Senator Brian Jones, and right before the break, Brian, you were talking about, uh, well, first of all, making reference to someone we know well, Assemblyman Kevin Kiley. And I don't know if, uh, Brian, you got one of those nifty masks that... Uh, Kevin Kiley's been wearing, I think, uh, with a picture of our, let's say, very hypocritical governor, maskless. Right. No, that 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 I did not get one yet. You um, you're gonna have to put in an order for one of those. Yeah, yeah, they're they're fantastic. But what I was was getting ready to say, you know, I will give credit to some of my Democrat colleagues uh, on both sides of this issue. The ones that are, you know, agree with us but haven't spoken up yet. I'm hoping that they'll get their nerve, and I, and I hope that they will begin speaking up about it. As we are seeing in Canada, the liberal members of parliament, some of them are starting to speak against their own prime minister. Uh, the conservatives in Canada are, are really fired up right now. Yes. They're really going after the, the prime minister. But even a couple of the liberal um, members of parliament, and, and for your listeners' uh, edification, if, if they're not familiar the the two parties in canada are conservative and liberal right uh, we we used to live there well this doesn't it's good you're explaining to our listeners uh kathleen and i lived in canada for a couple years in ontario and are uh familiar with both upsides and downsides up there but that's right those are the two major parties and i i because we used to live up there i tend to follow canadian politics uh more than most americans and Generally, Canada's conservatives, unfortunately, have gone along with a lot of this garbage that you were talking about, the mandatory right. passports. But I think this Canadian truckers uh, phenomenon or a freedom uprising has really turned a lot of minds uh, up up in our northern yeah. neighbor. Absolutely. And there's a great Instagram page that I've recently started following called uh, TNC, True North Center, and um, it covers a lot of the Canadian uh, news uh, from a conservative perspective. But it also, the, the thing I like about it is it, it shows video of the floor debates in the House of Commons uh, when they're debating these issues. And, you know, they, they debate quite differently than we do. They get a little rowdy and clap and shout down each other. Right. And uh, they have a different decorum than we do in the Assembly and the Senate here. So it's fun to watch. I'd encourage you to... Look at look at that. So I was giving, you know, some of my Democrat colleagues are more true to the uh, executive order than the governor is. So um, 
you know, they're wearing their masks and they're setting the example for, you know, their area where they live. And, and if they believe in it, then you know what? I, I, I don't have a, if they want to wear a mask, I don't have a problem with them wearing a mask. Just don't tell me that I have to. Right, right. This is all about freedom. Uh, same with the truckers. Right. The, it, it's all about freedom. Right. And uh, speaking of that debate, I can't help mentioning it. You probably saw it. I think it was yesterday or the day before. There was a lady, a member, a conservative member of the Canadian Parliament. She's Jewish. She's the direct descendant of Holocaust victims. And after she spoke, uh, not our, their prime minister, Justin Trudeau, got up and accused their side of being sympathetic to Nazis, and then and then would right. not give any apology for that. That's what they're dealing right. with. Yeah, because they know that that rhetoric. That there, there's there's two things wrong with that uh, in our modern culture, and you've got to blame the media to some degree, but you've got to blame the consu- all of us as consumers of the media uh, also. So when a politician makes a statement like that. It ought to land on deaf ears. It ought to be in a um, vacuum, meaning that when when a, when a elected official says something stupid like that, we shouldn't even know about it because it's so dumb and irresponsible. But what happens is in our modern day media, because it's uh, controversial and um, uh, extreme that's what the media covers and then all of us as consumers of the media click on that and listen to it and uh give the media a reason to to report it which gives the politician a reason to say it yeah and so it's got to start with us in turning off that type of media and not giving them access to our minds Right, right. Well, I want to give you the opportunity in, in the second half to talk about a couple of your other initiatives, although this is, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up the Canadian truckers. I was going to bring that up anyway because it's important to all of us. It's important here in California. One, one other thing before we leave that, by the way, we understand, and we're going to keep you informed on this show, we understand that there's going to be an American truckers rally of some sort starting somewhere in Southern California um, on March 5th, but that's all the details I have right now. I don't know yet. I, I think it's mainly to show solidarity and support for the Canadian truckers because this affects all of our freedoms. But on this show, we're going to keep you informed and, and in other venues uh, where you can learn more about it and maybe participate. But I want to move. Well, I would, I would uh, you know, all of us uh, need to do what we can to support that because it's going to be phenomenal and spectacular. Um, you know, I, I haven't heard that yet. I don't know anything about it, but I just, um, you know, if it's going to be in California, I mean, who knows, you know, w- what could happen, you know, right. from, our, from the government response to, um, our elected leaders response, but, you know, we need to look, this is America. We fight for freedom. That's right. what we do. Right. Well, I love I love what you're saying, Brian. That's why we need to keep you in the keep you in the state Senate, if not higher office. But I want to ask you about so our state's reporting a budget surplus of forty five billion dollars, which is incredible in itself. 
and yet I don't hear anything from Sacramento about a tax cut. Or, in fact, I hear there's they're they're considering a statewide mileage tax on all drivers. But tell us about your proposal and what you think we should do with that money. You know, I was driving. I don't even. I think I think I was in the district, so I was at home a couple of weeks ago and listening to the radio. Uh, the news on this surplus, $45 billion. And remember, in December, they thought it was going to be $31 billion. It's grown to $45 billion, and they're, and they're thinking by the time May comes around and the governor does his May revise on the budget, it might even be more than $45 billion. I'm driving my car, I'm thinking, how much is $45 billion? I mean, that's like a, like, how do we quantify that? Yeah. I don't even know how big of a number that is. And I thought, well, there's 40 million Californians almost and I just I just divided forty million into forty five billion, and it comes out to eleven hundred and twenty five dollars per person per person. Isn't that amazing? Eleven hundred and twenty five dollars. Every man, woman, child, baby, teenager, uh, affirmed, uh, infirmed, um, every person, every eleven hundred and twenty five dollars per person. And, and it's actually a little bit more than that because we don't have quite 40 million people. Right. And, um, and then I thought, family of four, that's $4,500. Wow. And then I'm thinking, you know, with inflation and with the cost of housing, the cost of gasoline, the cost of food is going off the hook right now. Um, I mean, every time my wife goes to the grocery store, I hear them. Uh, electricity rates are going up. Everything is going up. And I'm thinking... What forty five hundred dollars to the average California family is a lot of money, and what if the state just returned that? And Brian, keep keep in mind this is forty five billion dollars surplus. This is money that is left over after the Democrats have spent all the money they want to spend on all the programs they want to spend it on. Like the high-speed rail that's wasted over a hundred billion dollars so far in the Central Valley somewhere. And that's, you know, the the budget this year is estimated to be around $270 billion. Yeah. Well, in that $270 billion, I would argue, there's another $45 billion of waste, fraud, and abuse um, that doesn't need to be in the budget and programs that we don't need that, you know, statewide that Californians need to be paying through their tax dollars. So there's probably 90 to $100 billion of extra money that Sacramento is holding on to right now that belong to the taxpayers of California. Yeah, and and think about it, Brian, $4,500 now, if the Democrats don't return it, which I probably wouldn't hold my breath, do you think California families are going to get $4,500 of additional benefit from whatever the Democrats <laughs> do with that money? I don't think so. Absolutely not. You know, Absolutely we're, no, we're already... Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And there's, there's nothing that Sacramento can spend that $4,500 on better than each California family can spend it. So in our limited time remaining, unfortunately, I want to talk, get right down to your district. We've all had redistricting. I have a different congressman now. I live in South Escondido, and I'm represented by somebody on the coast. Seems like a lot of gerrymandering. But, Brian, tell us about your new district and anything you want to say about your – you're up for re-election this year, correct? 
I am, yes. Yeah, is, uh, June is the primary and November is the uh, general election. If your listeners would like to get more information on the campaign, the website is electbrianjones.com. Electbrianjones.com goes to my Senate re-election page, um, and they can get information there. And if they'd like to make a contribution, we'd certainly love to help. Uh, but yeah, my, my dropped, my district got slightly more competitive. So I'm going from what's considered a safe Republican seat to a lean Republican seat. Uh, so, uh, I got to have about a half a point registration advantage. I lost El Cajon, La Mesa and Spring Valley, which I've represented for the last 10 years. Um, so, you know, those folks know me, I know them. Uh, it's a very con- congruent population with Santee and Lakeside. Right, right. But somehow... So how far north do you still, is Escondido, how far north does your district go at this point? Yeah, so I lost those areas and I gained the University City, UTC, Mira Mesa, Miramar, uh, Rancho Bernardo, the rest of PQ, Scripps Ranch, and then from there up to 15 all the way to the Riverside border. So yeah, I saw Fallbrook, Rainbow, uh, Escondido, San Marcos. I lost Borrego Springs and Julian. Those two areas will now be in a district in out of Riverside, uh, which also doesn't make any sense. Those areas belong to San Diego. I don't know yep. what this commission was thinking. I have, Brian, it's, it, I believe it's criminal what they did, but that that's not the resounding. Everybody's disappointed and, and upset how they handled it because they did upset Democrat seats as well. Um, so it's pretty well known or well accepted that they did a horrible job, but I, I think what they did... Um, violated the law the intent of the law and all of that and well unfortunately that's not the overall opinion we'll we'll keep fighting we need your leadership in sacramento thanks so much for meeting with us uh for talking with us today brian it's always inspiring to to listen to your views on things and uh we need more people like you running things in this country thanks a lot Thanks, Brian. I appreciate you and Kathy and all that you do, and I uh, give my best to Kathy. I will. So, folks, uh, before we sign off, as Brian said, go to reelect Brian Jones. Uh, go to his website. Consider volunteering and or contributing. He's a strong Christian conservative leader, and you know what? He's a person, as you just heard, a person of common sense, which is a rare commodity these days. So support him till next week. Join us next Saturday at noon for Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Your hosts, Brian and Kathleen Melanakis, seek to educate and activate Christians at a grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Next week, we will cover another major news happening from the view of the Biblical Citizen. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.